Hello, friends and enemies alike. Welcome back to Real People. I know the cast has been MIA for about a month, and for that I apologize. I could try and feed you the excuse that COVID-19 has made life so much harder and that it's been impossible to record, but if anything, COVID-19 should have made recording easier because I'm furloughed and have a lot more time on my hands. Truth is, I'm just lazy. I don't want to downplay the seriousness of COVID-19 and how it's changed our way of life. I live in Las Vegas, where everything has been shut down and we're in quarantine for at least another month. Uh, many people have been infected around the world. Thousands have died, and a lot of people are scared. I, for one, earnestly pray for those afflicted, as well as the medical professionals working round the clock to develop a vaccine or cure for this virus. We will get through this, everybody. Thousands of years of overcoming these kinds of adversities does nothing but bolster my faith in my God and in us. Follow the CDC guidelines, be patient, be safe, and be hopeful. Things are going to be okay. One thing the quarantine has done is it's made it a lot easier for me to watch a ton of movies. Uh, I've watched some great movies, some not-so-great movies. I watched La Vie en Rose, which was very depressing. I watched Brooklyn from 2015 and want to watch it about 15 to 20 more times, so I think that means it's good. Uh, I showed Rayanne Tokyo Story, one of my personal favorites. Uh, finally watched The Farewell and can finally agree with the popular sentiment that Aquafina was robbed for an Oscar nom for that movie. Uh, I've started watching The Newsroom, the HBO series from a few years ago, and I don't really understand why that didn't get better ratings, because I love Aaron Sorkin, who wrote it, and the cast is absolutely stacked and brings their A-game, especially Jeff Daniels, who I adore. Many films have had their release dates postponed due to the movie theaters closing because of the virus. Uh, Fast 9 isn't coming out till next year. Uh, Mulan got pushed to July. No Time to Die got pushed to November. So I guess there's plenty of time to die, actually. <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible joke. Uh, Artemis Fowl is going to come out on Disney Plus now. Uh, make of that what you will. And a lot of streaming services are now offering virtual premieres and rentals of quote-unquote in-theater movies that cost the same as it would just to buy the movie. Why they wouldn't just make the movies available for purchase and charge the normal rental fee to rent it is beyond me, especially since I don't know a lot of people who would pay movie theater prices to watch a movie at home and not even be able to keep it. But in any case, I'm hopeful that we'll get to see these movies soon once things have returned to some semblance of normality. Recently, there's been some controversy on Twitter and Reddit and the like uh, surrounding the novelization of The Rise of Skywalker. Um, spoilers ahead for those who haven't seen the movie or those who care about spoilers. Uh, go watch it first. The novelization apparently includes many details that serve to fix plot holes in the film, such as uh, Emperor Palpatine being a clone, uh, Rey's father being a failed clone, and so on and so forth. The reason this has been controversial is because there are huge details that were left out of the movie, and a lot of people feel like this is a cheap way to try and patch things up. Uh, today, I've brought on my good friend Dustin Effinger, who's somewhat of a Star Wars fan, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this and just whatever else comes to mind. So Dustin, why don't you uh, tell the people a bit about yourself and maybe how we met and stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, we met because I moved to, uh, a tiny little town on the Canadian border called Blaine. 
you went to seminary in a little tiny building across from my property. Uh, so I saw you every morning. I thought you were really awkward. I was really awkward. Yeah, really <laughs> uncomfortable. And I also thought that, like, for months, I thought your name was Arrow Tiger, <laughs> which, which I thought was badass, but I also thought not fitting for your personality. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Dustin and I went to high school together and just all of the awkwardness that that entails. But uh, we've both been really into film at different points. Um I'm like a, a, a lazy hobbyist. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Before we dive into this whole Rise of Skywalker thing, well, what are some of your favorites? Some of your favorite movies? We'll just list off a couple here. Well, you know, it's hard to uh, keep a favorite for a long time. Right now, my favorite movie is Uncut Gems. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that yet. but it is. that. Oh, it is fantastic from start to finish. And I listen to the soundtrack like, a lot on repeat after I saw it. It's just a beautiful film overall. Um, the Safdie brothers uh, actually just make good movies. Uh, good Time with Robert Pattinson is the same kind of feeling. Really, really like edgy and fast-paced from start to finish. And you can't take your eyes off of it, you know? I've heard the word relentless get thrown around a lot. Relentless is a good way of describing it. Uh, anxious. And I've heard uh, I've heard Adam Sandler is amazing in it. So oh, Adam Sandler's a fantastic actor, just in general. Let's see other movies I really like. Uh, I just saw Taxi Driver. That, uh, like, that movie is incredible. Yeah, Taxi Driver is fantastic. The Joker was also fantastic. Joaquin Phoenix has never failed to impress me. He's good. He's really good in that movie. Yeah, so those are some those are some good favorites. So uh, from what I can tell, you're kind of a, a fan of like a dark and gritty kind of kind of stories. It, yeah, you know, I like movies that uh, that kind of shock you. We're talking a little bit about Rise of Skywalker and the uh, revelations that occur in the novelization. What what do you think about like? about key information to a story being in another story or like another form of media? Um, I kind of think it's unfair to fans to do that. Um, I think that if you can't, if you can't make your movie and put all of the details that you need in the movie, then you're kind of failing. And then releasing all of the, the details that fix plot holes or whatever after the fact is really lazy. Yeah, so I, I I don't I'm not of the belief that someone should be expected to read a book or watch a TV show in order to understand a movie. No, no, no. You should be able to uh, like pause uh, a movie and pick out things in the still frame that tell you what the lore is. You know, mm-hmm. you should be able to identify what uh, what plot holes need fixing or what actually fixes a plot hole in a movie in the movie. Right. Or, you know, just leave plot holes yeah. in movies. No, a lot of a lot of great films have kind of gaping plot holes um that, that just kind of go unresolved. Yeah, uh shoot me one. Uh, uh The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises have a bunch. Oh, yeah, you yeah. you would know. <laughs> but and you know, like the Joker's plan and the dark knight is just needlessly complicated and relies on a whole bunch of lucky stuff to work 
Yeah, yeah, but he's a needlessly complicated character. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, but my, my, my point is that, you know, there's really no such thing as a perfect movie. You can always find something to pick apart. Absolutely. I, I cried at The Dark Knight Rises. It was one of my favorite movies. But the fact that Batman just drops a nuclear bomb and it's totally <laughs> fine, and he dropped it, like, three miles out of Gotham. <laughs> uh, well, and, like, I, I love the, the like, when he gets out of Bane's prison and the next time we see him, he's in Gotham. There's nothing in between that that explains how he got back. Right? <laughs> and how he, and like, bypassed the guards on the bridge and everything. Bane, talking about how much he struggled to get out of that prison, goes back in there, <laughs> puts puts Batman in the most bottom cell he can, and then just climbs out again. Like, I understand he wanted to watch, he wanted Batman to watch his world collapse, but that's the big problem with villains in movies. Why not just kill him? Exactly. <laughs> he broke his back. Right? Like, just finish the job. Um, Absolutely. But I uh, get kind of backtracking. Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel, uh, made this announcement that said that uh, you're going to have to watch like the, the Marvel Disney Plus shows in order to understand like Doctor Strange 2 and stuff. Really? That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems like a, a corporate puppet thing to me. It absolutely does. And what, what's what's terrible to me is that Disney is both the best and the worst because, like, the best Marvel films have been released under their banner. Uh-huh. But at the same time, there absolutely is, like, a corporate puppet thing going on there. Oh, absolutely trying to monopolize the uh, streaming service. I love how people um, say that, like, without Disney, Star Wars would have been so much better off. And I'm like, I don't think you understand that if without Disney, we wouldn't have gotten any more Star Wars. Yeah, so. <laughs> but I mean, maybe that would have been a good thing. Maybe uh, I liked I liked the first one. The second one was just a whole lot of nothing, and so I didn't really <laughs> care to see the third one at all. Oh, I and love... then I, I heard about all of these ridiculous plot holes in it, and it just even like not seeing it, it made me upset. <laughs> no, I loved Last Jedi. I really did. Um, I thought that was the only great star wars movie in the new trilogy what's your favorite uh in the original series um, empire empire strikes back but yeah basically my my thought is if the plot of your movie hinges on revelation that someone has to get from another piece of media you've just made a bad movie exactly and that doesn't happen in things like video games you know right a, a video game will come out and you'll be able to discover the lore just by playing it. And that mm -hmm. should be how movies are, too. Right. And I, I definitely agree with you that I will not watch an entire series and pay for a streaming service just so that I can understand a movie that I'm going to end up paying $20 for anyways. Right. Like, if the next Star Wars movie relies heavily on The Mandalorian, like, as great as The Mandalorian is, it's still going to be a bad movie. Yeah, true. <laughs> and The Mandalorian's fantastic and it's fantastic because you could show that to somebody as their introduction to the universe of star wars and it would make sense it makes sense by itself 
Yeah, it does. And uh, that's one of the things that I do like about Star Wars is just the world, or I guess the universe that they created is mm-hmm. so creative. Yeah. And ha- having a, a, a Western <laughs> set in that universe is really, really cool. We're going to shift gears a little bit here because this kind of brings to mind some questions I have about uh, film and television adaptations kind of related to this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first one would be, what do you think makes a good adaptation? Ooh, that's a good question. Going from one form of media to film or television, what makes a good adaptation? Because I feel like anyone can list a bunch of examples of good ones and bad ones. Right, but uh, what makes a good one? Oh, man, it has to be uh, accessible to people who haven't seen or haven't read the other form of media that it's being adapted from. Okay. I think that's really important because for me, like, I've never read the Harry Potter books, but I've seen every Harry Potter movie, and I could understand what was happening just watching the movie. Now, mm. of course, there are going to be people who would listen to this and say, well, you're missing all of these details from the books. It doesn't really matter if I understand the story well enough from the movies. Yeah, exactly. Because it has to do with just, like, the, the main character's arc and the arc of the whole, of the whole story. Absolutely. And you can do that beautifully without shoving, you know, uh, 50 extra pages of details into the movie. On when uh, with like uh, Order of the Phoenix, J.K. Rowling stopped having an editor like the publishing company just kind of accepted her final draft. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so what happened was there were a ton of plot lines and kind of details that were brought up and then just kind of never resolved. Yeah, I can (laughs) imagine. Um, Now, I still love those books. I think they're great, but the movie didn't need Hermione forming a society to free house elves. (laughs) (laughs) It It just didn't need that, and I'll fight anyone who says it did. So I think another thing that is key to a good adaptation, and this is where a lot of adaptations fail, even mm-hmm. when they're faithful, like, as far as the plot, you have to capture the spirit of the source. Like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a example of a movie that doesn't do that. Uh, do you ever... S- oh! Uh, <laughs> the Last Airbender. Oh, I didn't even... I didn't see it. I just... I saw the <laughs> ads for it, and I knew I wasn't going to watch it. It's so bad, dude. It's... <laughs> And, like, whenever I talk to people about why that movie is so bad, they're always like, oh, they changed the pronunciations of the character names. It's Ong now instead of Ang. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I... (laughs) Like, but that, we, that's kind of weird. That's like, why would you even do that? What's well, the point of it? My point is, it didn't feel like the show. Right. It didn't, well, it didn't it, have that soul. There's no way to make an adaptation out of Last Airbender, because it's a, a consistent story arc over three seasons, you know? Yeah. And trying to shove that into an hour and a half. Not even pronouncing the right names, it sounds like they didn't even watch the show. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, and the thing is, if if the movie had been great, I could have accepted the the different pronunciations because it would have been a great movie anyway. 
but sure. it was a bad movie, and so the fact that they pronounced the characters' names wrong just added to that. Absolutely. Oh, that upsets me. <laughs> I, I'm so glad I never saw it. <laughs> no, yeah, it was like Ong, uh, Soka was was one of them, which sounds like Ahsoka from the Clone Wars. Wh- why? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and and they took all of the humor out of Sokka. Like he was like he was this stoic like warrior type. And I'm that's like, he was the comic relief. Right. Last Airbender, bad adaptation. Some really good film adaptations. I, I just have a, a list here. Like um, the Harry Potter films, I thought did a really good job. There are a yes. lot of there are a lot of people who are like, "Boo! They did a terrible job with the book." I'm like, they told the story. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I got it. <laughs> they, I understood. They they told the story in a way that was meaningful for people who didn't read the books, and that's the goal. Exactly, and that is what makes a good adaptation. I don't want to be watching a movie and then being confused about a plot point because I didn't read it in the book. Right. But, like, um, uh, maybe my favorite book-to-film adaptation ever is the Coen Brothers' True Grit. Oh, man. Uh, That's a fantastic film. Right. Uh, yeah, I remember watching it with you, and like I was on the edge of my seat. No, that that movie is incredible, and honestly, like I've seen it probably fifteen times, and it's better every time I watch it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um. But like Room, uh, A Monster Calls. Um. I thought Watchmen was a good adaptation, and I'm kind of in the minority on that one as well. Oh yeah, you are definitely in the mini- minority <laughs> on that one. I hated Watchmen. I thought it did a good job of telling the story of the comic, uh, although it was really long and kind of dull. So <laughs> uh, It was very long and very dull. I, <laughs> part of the reason I hated it, though, is I watched it when HD first came out. And you know how movies, like, w- when they were first put out in HD, they had that weird, like... Like soap opera look to them. Yes. Yes, exactly that. And it just irritated me so much. Well, and a lot of TVs have, like, movie mode. Um, And when you set your movie to that, it incorporates a a whole bunch of weird stuff, like motion blur, and just makes the quality of it worse. That sounds terrible. You you know what a great adaptation is? I know we already talked about this, but The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is a great adaptation. Well, it's because it's it's an original story that's adapted from you know the characters and the world of the comics. Exactly. Um, It's almost it's probably just as good as the comics. It's dark. It's gritty. It's uh, still a comic book movie, but not in the way that you would expect. Not like a Marvel movie, you know. Well, and it understood the soul of of Batman. Exactly, and especially after all of the terrible adaptations of Batman <laughs> that came out in the 80s and 90s. I loved Tim Burton's first two Batman movies. Another good, ad- or another great adaptation is uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park is fantastic. Um, have you seen... I, I, it made me scared of dinosaurs as a kid. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that movie. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? I was never scared of Jurassic Park. I, I was because just... dinosaurs are dead. <laughs> you don't need to be scared of Jurassic Park. It was ridiculous that I was. Yeah, but even as like a five-year-old, I seem to understand that. I'm like, oh, yeah, there are no dinosaurs. I haven't seen any of those walking around. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one yet. 
and as you know, as as everyone knows, uh, when you're five, you've seen everything there is to see. That's true, especially all of the dinosaurs. <laughs> a couple, another really good adaptation is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird with Gregory Peck. Oh. But Gregory Peck gives maybe my, it's hard to say. He gives one of my favorite performances that I've ever seen on stage or screen in To Kill a Mockingbird. He is incredible. Friday Night Lights, the TV series, I thought was a great adaptation of the movie. Not a very good one of the book. Well, actually, no, it'd be a terrible adaptation of the book because it doesn't follow the book at all. Why is there so much media about that? About Friday Night Lights. It's just about a football team, right? It's not just about a football team. (laughs) It's about the people who play football. So it's about a football team. No. <laughs> what do you mean? A team a football team is people who play football. <laughs> but it's about the people. It's not really about the game. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Explosions in the Sky, the post rock band. Uh, I don't know if they did it for the movie or for the series, it was but for the movie. Th- yeah, they wrote the soundtrack for that. I remember them. They posted on Twitter recently about how they never imagined that they would just be writing sports soundtracks. <laughs> well, they also did the soundtrack to like uh, Lone Survivor and Prince Avalanche. Yeah, they did. Um, they've done many soundtracks at this point. That's got to be how they make their money. No one listens to post rock anymore. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever really did. Well, I mean, I did. <laughs> In, like, Uh, 2011? (laughs) Okay, here's an honorable mention as far as adaptations go. I love the movie V for Vendetta. Uh, Oh, you do love V for Vendetta. I love V for Vendetta, and it's, it's, you know, as I've watched it, uh, as I've gotten older, it is definitely super cheesy, and... Yeah. And it's it's kind of like there are parts of it that are kind of hokey, but I just love I don't know I, I I love the atmosphere of that movie, and I think Natalie Portman's really good in it. Oh, the scene where she's getting her head shaved and she's crying mm-hmm. about it the whole time. Didn't she actually shave her head for that? Yeah, no, that was her getting her head shaved on screen. Yeah, and like I imagine the tears were real tears. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, like it's a good movie, but you're right about it being hokey, and that's just. That's just because movies 15, 20 years ago were hokey in general. Right. Yeah, no, it, it was a, it was a circumst- it was a victim of circumstance that way. Yeah, well, I mean, most movies, especially action themed movies, were really cheesy up until uh, Iron Man. Iron Man, I think, is the coolest movie of the past twenty years. The first one was so good. Yeah, and. Uh, Another fantastic adaptation, Iron mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, oh the, yeah. The, the Iron Man trilogy is great. Sam Rockwell is great in uh, Iron Man three. It was he was in two. It was two. Yeah. Who was the enemy in three? Uh, Ben Kingsley. <laughs> it was Ben Kingsley, yeah. but he was he was a fake. Yeah, he was a fake. Guy Pierce was the real enemy. Thank you, Guy Pierce. Yeah. I couldn't recognize him with the longer hair and uh, oh yeah, and no tattoos all over his body. <laughs> no tattoos, and he had a good memory. It's just completely unrecognizable. Yeah, he didn't have amnesia. <laughs> but uh, we haven't um, talked about Lord of the Rings yet. Oh well, I okay. Ran would kill me if we didn't talk about Lord of the Rings. Well, Ran's favorite movie is literally just the Lord of the Rings extended trilogy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But no, Lord of the Rings, 
I think are the biggest movies ever made. Um, absolutely, some of the best movies ever made, in in my opinion. No, I I think I think you're I think you're right on the money there. Those 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 films are fantastic. Absolutely, there's so much to gain from watching them uh, as uh, a normal citizen and as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. as a film buff. You you learn a lot about movies and acting. The acting all throughout the series is incredible. There there are moments because um, you know we talked about movies kind of being a product of their time. There, there are right. some there are some editing choices in the Lord of the Rings that whenever I see them I kind of giggle because uh, <laughs> they worked then and they totally do not now. Um, yeah, mainly flashback sequences. Oh, oh yeah, Man, and flashback sequences are dated in general. So other than the flashback sequences, though, those movies are just about note perfect. Yeah, and you can rewatch them anytime you want. How old are they now? Like twenty years. Yeah, twenty years old. <laughs> That's insane to me. Well, and what's crazy? What's crazy is that each of them had a budget of a hundred million dollars. That's so small for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's so small. That's incredible. Well, I mean, like, Avengers Endgame, which I adored, had a budget of $250 million. Yeah. It had it had almost the budget of those three movies combined. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Let's see. So, yeah, the Lord of the Rings movies, I would say we, we still have not succeeded in making movies that big i would say infinity war and endgame are probably the closest we've gotten since then oh yeah absolutely marvel dominated the movie scene for the last 10 years okay so we've talked about a bunch of really good film adaptations i want to talk about just a couple of really bad ones um the lord of the rings animated movie (laughs) hey they did their best for their time (laughs) no they didn't (laughs) uh those movies were weird uh, exactly. Even the animation style is very uncomfortable. Putting. Yeah, and the stories are so dark. It's like, why are you making this a kids' show? Well, no, that's how I felt about. Um, that's how I feel about Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. If you read the book, it is not a happy story. <laughs> well, it's not a happy story in the movie either. <laughs> no, it's not. But it has this bow-tied happy ending that makes no sense. It's a kids' movie, though. You know, you can't make sad endings for kids' movies. So they're doing a live-action Hunchback. Big surprise. I would love for them to be a little ballsy and make a movie for adults, but they're not going to. I would like them to be ballsy and hire a real Hunchback. <laughs> I I can't even name a Hunchback actor. <laughs> <laughs> so bad adaptations. Um, Inkheart. Did you ever read those books? No, no, I didn't. Um, that's kind of like Aragon, though, right? Which yeah. we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, well, so I, 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 I never read the Aragon books. I didn't either, but <laughs> I did see the movie, and I knew that it was not good. I that, knew that it was a poor adaptation there already. Was, <laughs> there was one good thing about that movie, and it's something that every fan of the books will tell you. Jeremy Irons. Scar from the Lion King. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. I keep thinking Jeremy Piven. <laughs> um, but so, in, uh, I'm go, going back to Inkheart. I uh, loved the Inkheart books when I was a kid. Like they 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 triggered this very specific vision in my head. And when I went to watch the movie, none of that was there. Right. And I get like you know you know different people read a book, they picture different things. That's kind of the beauty of reading. Um, 
That's true, and that's a good point to bring up. But Inkheart, the, the movie didn't feel like it had the soul of the book at all. Mm-hmm. It it just felt like uh, a, a YA adaptation, and that's it. Right, like uh, somebody read it and just said, oh, this would be a good movie, or somebody explained the plot and said, this would make a good movie. <laughs> to quote John Mulaney, it... it Seems like somebody read the book and then is is uh, texting the plot to you the best I can remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's in card. Uh, You're gonna have to cut that part out. John Mulaney's gonna sue you. <laughs> um, the casting of Inkheart was super off. Just like Avatar. Yeah, the the casting of Inkheart was super off, and it's it's the fault of the author, which is weird. It's the only time I can think about it being the fault of the author. She specifically wrote the books with Brendan Fraser in mind for the lead. I love Brendan Fraser. I do too, but he's wrong for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's wrong for that part because the, the, the character that he plays, his nickname is Silvertongue because hearing him read is literally so powerful that it brings the things in the book to life. Okay. <laughs> And I love Brandon Fraser, but he does not have that kind of voice. No, no. Although he he can he can do a pretty good jungle scream. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you think that may can you imagine him jungle screaming a thousand and one nights? I yes I can actually. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, when Tarzan came out, my uncle had his drum set set up in the basement and my cousin would go and start playing the the theme. Boom, boom. Yeah. Yep. No. So Ink Inkheart just kind of betrayed the soul of its source material for me. I was just gonna say, and that's what I'm worried about with the Artemis Fowl movie. I'm definitely gonna see it because the books are absolutely amazing, and mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm remembering them correctly, and I would recommend them to anyone who reads books. Mm-hmm. You should definitely read them, even if you're an adult. So that that movie is being directed by Kenneth Branagh. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I love Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I, I know you do. I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. And he, he's, he's made duds, okay? Like, I loved the first Thor movie when it came out, but it is the second best Thor movie in the trilogy. <laughs> so it's the second best. It's also the second worst. <laughs> um... <laughs> But I don't think it's really fair to compare the directorial styles of Kenneth Branagh and Taika Waititi. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. But Branagh, I think, like if you watch any of his um, Shakespeare adaptations, he demonstrates a very keen understanding of the text. Right. And I think he brings that to whatever he does. So I'm I'm hopeful that Artemis Fowl is going to be good. I I am too. Uh, I'm worried that even if, you know, Kenneth Branagh does the best job he possibly can, I would worry about the producers wanting to make it more of a, more just an entertaining movie. A Disney adventure. Correct. And yeah. it's it's kind of a dark story. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, a, it's definitely like a kid's book, but you get to the end of these books and they're these, these large battles, you know, where Artemis Fowl is like, backed up against a wall and he might actually die right and that's the kind of thing that i would like to see i would like to see a pg-13 artemis foul yeah but i will have to see 
Well, and the thing that I worry about with it is that I don't like it when, when you know, a movie comes out that changes the game and then everything else is an imitator. Absolutely. Um, uh, just like uh, when Marvel got good. Mar- Marvel got good, and so then, and then everybody wanted the cinematic universe. Exactly. To the point where you made yeah. a, where you made a mummy movie with Tom Cruise that was supposed to be the start of the Universal Monster universe. I saw that with Tom Cruise, and it just it's so bad. It's such a it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> it's because they were just they trying... already created the universe. Why destroy it? <laughs> well, and then they somehow. They somehow brought the Brendan Fraser universe in with it by using the same Book of the Dead. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and it just breaks that movie even further. <laughs> um, oh, another terrible adaptation of a book that I loved, A Series of Unfortunate Events. The Jim Carrey oh, movie. you didn't like that? Mm-mm. So I haven't talked about this uh, about this book series on this podcast yet. Those books by Lemony Snicket were so special to me because when mm-hmm. I read them, I felt like there was this whole world that I was discovering and it was mine. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I get that. That's exactly how I felt reading Artemis Fowl for the first time. Exactly. It felt very personal and very private, you know. And then freaking Nickelodeon movies took this very special thing and, like, visually they got it right, but... As I was saying before, the soul of it wasn't there. They turned it into a Jim Carrey movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely got the most screen time when uh, Violet is obviously the most interesting character. Yeah, right. Well, and I mean, I, I, I love Count Olaf. I love the character of Count Olaf, and Jim Carrey just got him wrong. I don't know if he got it wrong. I think that his acting was good, but I agree with you that he was given way too much screen time. And his plot get, and they, his plans moved way too fast. They let him ad-lib too much. Yeah, and that's just because he's Jim Carrey. They do that with Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. too. And you don't always need comedians to ad-lib. Just right, give I, them I, a script. I love... I love uh, Jim Carrey. I really do. Absolutely. He is, I mean, he's one of the best actors ever. He's, he's and that tremendous. is just, that's just like a widely held opinion. And, and it's not like, like Ace Ventura, for instance, doesn't take talent. It takes a tremendous amount of talent. And what he does takes a tremendous amount of energy, too. Uh-huh. And he, uh, has, he has this rubber face that's like, honestly, he's like a modern day, like Don Knotts or something. Yeah, um, you can just manipulate his skin so well. <laughs> and and it's 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 beautiful to watch. However, I don't want that in my series of unfortunate events movie. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, by comparison, the Netflix show I thought was perfect. It really really was great. I I only got through the second season. I didn't end up seeing the third season before I canceled. But everything I saw was beautifully done. And it, it, it had that soul. It felt like like the world that I envisioned when I read those books was on the screen. I'm sure. I haven't read the books, but uh, seeing the series versus the movie and how much detail was left out of that movie, it should never have been a movie. Um, it should always have been a series. Well, and the, like, the constant presence of a narrator in the series is kind of what helped set it apart. Because the thing that makes... The, the book's so special is you have this wry, smart-ass narrator 
uh, making commentary on the events. And Patrick Warburton, at first I was like, I always pictured a British person reading those books. And so when I heard Patrick Warburton for the first time, I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this. But he ended up being wonderful. Oh, yes. And he has such a, a, a wonderful speaking voice. My favorite line from the books and from the show is uh, when he says, when he's talking about huge clouds of dust. And he says, a huge cloud of dust is not an attractive sight. Painters don't usually paint pictures of huge clouds of dust. Uh, novelists don't write books about... Uh, huge clouds of dust as their subjects and as far as i'm aware a, a huge cloud of dust has never placed higher than 25th in a beauty pageant <laughs> <laughs> uh, i wonder if that was an ad lib uh, it was it was it's in the book oh really <laughs> yeah no they did a, the, the show on netflix did a really good job and i think neil patrick harris was wonderful oh all of the acting i thought was spectacular I mean, the kids were a little wooden, but you don't watch it for the kids. You thought the kids were a little wooden? Yeah. I I thought that they were great, considering the fact that everything that they were doing was extremely traumatizing for them, and they they had to do that to survive. If they broke down, they would be in Count Olaf's possession, you know? Yeah. And that was the whole point, was survival. And and I think they do get better by the end. Um, but at the beginning, I just really didn't attach to them very much. Okay, a couple more bad adaptations. Um, this is one that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I love it, even though it's not very good. Uh, the Lost World. Uh, is that the one where the T-Rex goes to New York? Uh, to get, it's L.A., yeah. <laughs> How did he even make it there? Who's <laughs> driving the boat? <laughs> Well, someone was driving the boat, and then the T-Rex ate them. <laughs> and what? What? The boat just kept going? Yeah. <laughs> who's going to stop it? <laughs> what do you mean, who's going to stop it? It's not. It can't just be on court. Let's not argue about a T-Rex getting to L.A. <laughs> but, okay, so I really like that movie because I grew up with it. But that movie bastardizes the novel, first of all. The novel is fantastic. Maybe even better than the first one. Um, it bastardizes the movie, it, the first movie. Well, and it, it takes all of the fun out of the Jeff Goldblum character. Uh, I love Jeff Goldblum. Like, you, you almost have to, you have to work to make Jeff Goldblum not fun. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> now, th- that being said, there are two spectacular scenes in The Lost World. There's the one where the RV is hanging over the cliff. Oh, and... yeah, that's fantastic. That yeah. is... Uh, anxiety-inducing. That 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 is peak Steven Spielberg. Like the tension is so masterful, and that 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 scene is a balancing act. It's the the best scene in that movie. Are you kidding? You wrote that, didn't you? What that line? No. That scene is a balancing act. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I swear. <laughs> you can look at my word document. Um, <laughs> but the the other great scene in that is the raptors in the grass. I was just going to say, yeah, the raptor scene. Uh, All of the raptors in Jurassic Park are far scarier than any other dinosaur, except the ones that sprayed acid in Newman's eyes. (laughs) No, uh, yeah, no, the the Dilophosaurus is the one that sprays Dennis Nedry. What's it called? Dilophosaurus. Oh, yeah, that scene freaked me out. I was was, uh, not happy with that. 
Well, and I mean, I could get, I, honestly, I should do a whole episode on the Jurassic Park series because I, I love those movies, even the bad ones. You told me that from the start, that Jurassic Park was your favorite movie. And I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, that's pretty lame. <laughs> no, Jurassic Park was, was the movie that kind of inspired me to want to make movies. It's, it's, a, it's marvelous. And so even though The Lost World is a terrible film adaptation, I still have a soft spot for it. Yeah, Jurassic Park, the series is worth the watch. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't need to read the books at all to understand well, and anything the, going on. The first film, for that matter, wasn't a great adaptation of the book because the book was super different. But it's a great movie. It is a great movie. And Michael Crichton, the author, wrote that movie as well. So anything that's different, it's got the author's seal of approval on it. Another movie that I really like but is a terrible adaptation is uh, World War Z. Uh, I heard that it just wasn't at all anything like the book. No, uh, it like, wasn't. Not even plot-wise. No, plot-wise, heart-wise, soul-wise. Like, I'm saying that it's a good movie and a bad adaptation. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, I, it's totally different from what the from the ideas of the book, uh, but it's, it is an entertaining movie. Is it is it just a zombie movie or is there something more to it? Because I I just have trouble watching you know zombie movies. It's pretty much Brad Pitt being pretty while running away from zombies for like two hours. <laughs> Ugh, I'm so tired of movies. <laughs> Brad Pitt's a fantastic actor. I don't know if you've seen uh, Babel, but that's a stellar. I, I movie. haven't seen Babel. Oh, it's so good. Very sad. He's great in it, but. That's the thing. Brad Pitt's a fantastic actor, but there's so many movies he gets cast in, like Ad Astra, where it's just Brad Pitt's face in the movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Ad Astra. I haven't seen Ad Astra. I, oh my word, that is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I liked him in 12 Years a Slave, even though I hate that movie. You hate it? Yeah. It's so pandering. You it, think so? It was, it was Oscar bait to the max. Yeah, you know? that's unfortunate. And, like, it didn't say anything about slavery that had not been said before. Okay, yeah. Like, even, it, even like, Django Unchained. Ah, um, such a good movie. It's a great movie, and at least it was like, hey, what if a slave got revenge on the slave owner? Okay, Absolutely. That's, that's not something we've seen a lot of in movies. Like, we've seen Amistad and stuff, but it's, it's not, it's not, like, 12 Years a Slave is two and a half hours of look how bad slavery was. Right, and, and, that, and that's it. <laughs> here's another thing about Django Unchained is nobody really talks about how a large portion of cowboys were black and brown. Mm-hmm. And that's because of situations like what happens in Django Unchained, you know? Uh, a slave runs away or is freed, and then what? what the hell do you do? Yeah, and so for me it's like, 12 Years a Slave is this beautifully filmed and powerfully acted movie that has nothing new to say. Well, that's unfortunate because when I, I when I saw that that was coming out, I I felt like, you know, this is good, you know, maybe it'll shock some sense into people people who like the Confederacy, which <laughs> is I guess an ignorant thought of me. <laughs> well, and uh, it's got this underwhelming ending that I really hate. And then uh, watch it once. Let me know what you think. But I just, I it's not, it's not one that I intend to watch again. And I think that it 
continues the trend of the Academy only giving Oscars to stories about people of color when they're about slavery. That's an interesting point that uh, <laughs> I don't think I've I don't think I've really heard that point before. But uh, thinking about it, like yeah, you're right. I mean, there even aren't... even like Get well, Out, Moonlight didn't Moonlight win Best Picture? Moonlight did win Best Picture, but Twelve Years a Slave was before that. It's true. Well, you know, maybe we're actually progressing as a society. I'm crossing hope, my fingers, literally. I so. on no, that. I, I hope so. My least favorite adaptation, uh, and I, I haven't read the comics, so maybe this isn't really a fair opinion, but Ghost Rider? <laughs> Did you know Ghost Rider 2 came out after Iron Man and the MCU oh, universe yes. started? Yes. I'm very aware. That movie is like... I'm surprised that even Nicolas Cage took that role. You know why he took that role? Um, because he's broke? Yeah, no, he has so much tax debt from, like, purchasing, like, dinosaur skulls from Mongolia that turned out to be stolen and stuff. He's uh, so... Did he get in trouble for that? Yeah, he's so weird. Oh. He is a weirdo. <laughs> I can't wait for his movie to come out about himself. All right, Dustin, well, I think we've covered just about everything that is in our brains, at least. So it was great having you on. Hopefully we'll uh, be able to talk again soon. I know we want to do uh, an episode on whether or not Nick Cage is a good actor. So stay tuned for that, y'all. Stay tuned. We have the answer for you. (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. See you later. And thank you all for tuning in. If you're not doing this already, go ahead and use this quarantine time to watch the movies and TV you've been wanting to get around to. There's literally no better time for a distraction like this. Stay safe, stay tuned, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.